I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on LinkedIn.com/slash recommend today. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto-pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto-pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling accounts to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. Got another edition of the High School Football Podcast already in week four. Seems like we're cruising through this season alongside uh, Top Dog. Dog. I'm Brayden Soprano. Thanks again for joining us today, today uh, on, on the podcast. podcast. A little bit of a different setup for us. Uh, we did... Uh, Meet at Todd Durkin Studios uh, yesterday. Had to um, finish off some other stuff today, but we had a pretty good interview with uh, Miles Bailey, who is an official for the San Diego County officials, and uh, got a lot of good insight out of him. We'll, we'll uh, play some of that interview in, in just a little bit. But Chris, let's uh, let's talk about week three and what happened and what stood out to you, and you know your overall synopsis of week three before we dive into individual games. I think the. Uh... The overall synopsis is in week three or week four, depending on you look at it with week zero, the theme of the week is they are who we thought they were. Now, you can take that for many games. Um, the Lincoln modern day game, um, the La Costa Canyon Mission Hills game. Um, a lot of teams went to that probably with a lot more confidence. And then, you know, at the end of the night, when they look at the scoreboard, they get a hell. So I think the theme of this week is they are who we thought we, they were. Let's talk about the uh, game of the week, obviously, and uh, we'll talk a little bit more about this with uh, with Miles um, from a, a standpoint of, of some things that we heard about the game. But overall, Cathedral beats Helix 14-13. Uh, you know, some plays didn't go either team's way in, in terms of some calls. We saw it on social media. But, you know, overall, I mean, it's a one-point game in that game between uh, two of the top teams in, in San Diego. What did you take away from, from the Cathedral Helix game last week? Uh, actually, it was a lot closer than I thought it was going to be. I mean, obviously, a one-point game. Um, I had I had Helix actually winning that game. Um, but I tell you what, the, the pressure of defense uh, got to uh, Ryan and Jesse early and often, and uh, you know he he had some guys that were open and he couldn't make the throws. And I think that's the difference between winning and losing. This that's game okay. is a game of inches, and uh, he missed a couple of receivers wide open, or at least out of coverage a couple of times and a really good secondary for cathedral. And, uh, that's the difference in the game. I mean, when you're playing, you know, two division one juggernauts and classic programs like Helix and cathedral, um, you have to be hundred percent consistent the entire game. And I just think, you know, the defense of, of cathedral, um, I say it every week, John Montali is the greatest defensive coordinator in San Diego County, but he dials up that DC and that defense for, for, um, cathedral and it confuses a lot of quarterbacks and you saw that uh that that night i did think that the touchdown that was uh called a touchdown uh, was a fumble uh he did look like he lost the ball before he got into the end zone unfortunately but i didn't see the hold on the kickoff return either so uh my takeaway in this game sorry miles probably not gonna like this but uh officials don't need to be part of the game or make the game about themselves and so my takeaway is uh, it was bad officiating. And I think that the officials played too much of an important role in that game. And uh, there were a lot of inconsistent calls or no calls in that game. And I think it directly affected uh, the outcome of the game. Yeah, I, I mean, that, that's, the, that's the unfortunate part, right, was, was we've had that. And I, I know it was bad. You know, I got to – I watched the game. It was there, obviously, and – um, you know, it, it seemed like it, a lot of the calls were 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 not very good in a sense. And um, you know, I knew it was bad when earlier this week on the talk show, you know, we're talking about the Padres, we're talking about local San Diego sports. We got three phone calls to talk about the officiating in that game unsolicited, which I thought was 
surprising. Uh, that's the downside. The good side is we had about five high school football phone calls this week. Again, all unsolicited, which is great. Uh, love the passion from the San Diego fans and talking about high school football here in San Diego. And, you know, when you're talking about pro sports and there's people going, hey, man, I was at the Chula Vista, you know, Hilltop game last week. It's great. It's great to see that a lot of local people are are going out in their communities and watching high school football. But, you know, I, I think when, when we get to miles, I think a lot of it's going to be with experience and the, the more experienced officials, you know, usually have their – um, you know, control over the game in a sense where it's not about them. Great communication, and and that's what you like to see. But we were kind of expecting there's going to be some growing pains with a lot of guys officiating games this year just because they haven't had the experience. So it's unfortunate that that a game like that had had some big big time calls that were clearly missed that that could have affected Helix winning and and could have affected Cathedral winning. Um, you know, by maybe more than one point, but. You know, it is what it is. I think everybody kind of expected that going forward. But another hard-fought game between the two. First time Cathedral's won at Helix since 2009. Second time ever they've ever won at Helix. Um, And it was a hard-fought battle. And the other thing, too, with the Helix-Cathedral games, when Cathedral wins, aside from last year, it's usually close. And when Helix wins, it's usually a blowout. So another close win for the Dons against the Helix Highlanders, who are now uh, 9-7 against Helix. Go back to last year, last fall, and I think that was what fifty-five zero. It was fifty-two nothing. It was the first time Cathedral actually won by more than a single score. Or when they usually lose, it's usually a blowout. So, um, but it's pretty back and forth. Pretty pretty good rivalry. I mean, nine and seven for the Dons at this point, and uh, it's kind of one of those newer rivalries that you don't see. You know, non-traditional. You know, two of the powers just that play each other every single year, and it's great to see. Hopefully, you get to see it in the uh, Open Division or D1 playoffs. North County Game of the Week, Carlsbad, uh, was a big favorite against El Camino. They scored 20 points in the first half, shut out in the second half against El Camino. Obviously, Avocado League game. Uh, teams know each other really well, but El Camino did a great job. They lost 20-16. to 16. I know I know teams aren't going to appreciate a, you know, a, a tough loss. There's no such thing as a... Uh, uh, as a um, as a respectable loss, obviously, or whatever the the term is that I'm that I'm blanking on, but shut out Carlsbad an entire half of football. You were six points away. It's a pretty damn good job there by by El, El Camino. Yeah, I thought the D line kept them in the second half. Um, they just didn't have enough explosive plays from their their special their receivers and running backs to get back in the game and take the lead. And He's I don't got- I don't I don't know if the Avocado League is what it used to be this year. It's not what it used to be, but when you get to league games and you play the same teams over and over again, they're going to be hard-fought, close, usually for some pretty close games. And I'm expecting more of the Avocado League in close games moving forward. East County Game of the Week. Got to give the, we got to give some. I know you got some shout-outs for players for this team, so I'm gonna I'm gonna set them up for you. But Rancho Buena Vista goes down to El Cap, puts up a big 42-14 win. They were highly favored. This is the best start in RBV school history. Dating back to the 90s, uh, they tried to get a 4-0 start last year. El Cap shut it down. This year, RBV gets the 4-0 start, looking for a 5-0 start potentially this week, which would be, I think, the best in school history to get the Longhorn season off started right. And uh, they're playing really well right now, Chris. I know there's a couple of players that you wanted to talk about on on this Rancho Buena Vista team. Really, really, the one player I want to talk about is the general, the field general for uh, the Longhorns, and that's another thing, Connor Underwood. Um, you know, he plays in a smaller school, so a lot of people don't get to see him on the PPR. He's not one of your, at one of your bigger programs. Um, but he's got, you know, college looks from a lot of Mountain West schools right now looking at him to, to be their field general in the future. Um, he, as of this week, he just passed the all-time school record for most passing yards in history for RBV. So congratulations to that young man. He had a great offseason uh, doing the college uh, recruiting trips. And like I said, there's several – College is interested in him, and it's good to see him having success this season. Let's talk about the South Bay game of the week. Granite Hills goes down to East Lake, wins thirty-eight to nine. East Lake now zero and four. Tough start for East Lake. We know about a lot of problems that are, that are at East Lake, but let's talk about Granite. I mean, three and one now on the season. They're ranked thirteenth uh, in in the in the county in Cal Preps. You know, I don't think they are as uh, you know as dominant as they were in the last couple of years, but uh, a team that's one of those you know good solid football teams here in town. Well, and you know, I actually want to talk about the Titans for just a minute. Um, they're they're bit by the injury, but uh, you know, the quarterback uh, Pomato, uh, Sean Pomato Jr. over there um, got injured in Week One. 
Uh, he, last week was his, his first return. He had to sit out two weeks, so he had a concussion. And first play of the game, the ball is snapped through his hands. And that kind of set the tone for the entire game. You know, Brandon uh, recovered the fumble. And, you know, all night, Eastlake had to be fight, fighting uphill. And when you don't have the athletes like you're used to getting at Eastlake, you've got a lot of the injuries. You know, it seems like week after week after week, they're playing catch-ups no matter who they're playing. City game of the week, Madison beats Ramona 41-7. Ramona, two tough games in a row, having to play Poway and Madison, both in Division One. Madison, obviously, one of the top three teams in the county. A lot of people have number one in their polls, number two, number three. I mean, regardless of where you got them, they're one of the top three teams, definitely in San Diego. 4-0 start, best start out of every team in San Diego, tied with a couple others, obviously, record-wise. But they continue to roll. I mean, they haven't been challenged yet in one game. They've dominated all their games. They got... Uh, the great uh, wide receiver quarterback combo. They got a good offensive line. We've talked about this team a lot since they all took their lumps as sophomores playing on varsity in that COVID season. Now as seniors, they're developed. They have experience with varsity experience, and they're proven that they're they're one of the top teams to beat in San Diego County, and and one of the top teams that might be battling for that Western League title. Absolutely, it's going to be an interesting three way matchup between them, Lincoln, and Cathedral uh, later on when we get in the week play. But Ben Favo and uh, Coach Rick Jackson have done a fantastic job bringing these young guys up, like you said, taking their lumps uh, in the spring and in the fall of last year. And, you know, these guys are battle-tested. Johnson and Jackson is one of the most, you know, prolific uh, passing, uh, receiving duos in the county. Uh, you got Barry Rankin, one of the best linebackers. you got James Tavau, another linebacker slash running back. You've got the mighty Smurf over there. The kid to transfer from Point Loma, there he's uh, running back with Tyson Bryant. You got a lot of guys with with big heart that play on that team, and you know it, it wouldn't surprise me as guys play beyond expectations. Um, this might be Madison's year to do it all. I'm going to uh, list about three or four games that are uh, of note, and then we'll get to those two Saturday games real quick, Chris. Um, you know, Mount Carmel beats Scripps Ranch thirteen to nine. LCC beats Mission Hills thirteen to ten, which I thought was a significant. Game and then how about me cursing Del Norte saying last week that they could potentially go nine and one ten and zero and then they lose their first game against La Jolla uh, last week twenty seven to twenty anything that really sticks out to you in those three games aside from me being a mega curse and Del Norte probably cu- cursing my guts out Mission Hills LCC I got to give it to Sean Sobercall uh, somehow he dialed up a special teams player you know, the best kicking game in the county because it looked like a kickout. Um, Mission Hills just couldn't get in the end zone. Uh, the only time they did get in the end zone was a, a defensive lineman interception. Um, it looked like the defense of uh, Lacoste Canyon stifled the Mission Hills offense all night long. And so uh, great job to Sean Sobercall and his defense over there. I think that's a huge win. Did not see that coming. Uh, going in that game, I thought Lacoste was a major underdog. Mission. There was even talk that Mission Hills was going to be one of the top four teams to make the Open this year. That was a big shocker for me, losing the LCC. I was a big shocker for me as well. Saturday's games, Lincoln uh, beat Modern Day, beat them down 56-20. And you got to talk about Roderick Robinson, 32 carries, 476 yards, eight touchdowns, ties Jamal McClendon for most touchdowns in a game. I mean, the guy has put together some incredible performances and added another you know feather in his cap with a big win over Modern Day. Uh, Modern Day, obviously, with the schedule that they've had, they're, they're, they're a team that's you know been banged up the whole time, but... You know, going into the season, we knew that that modern day team, you know, didn't have as much depth as a lot of the big time D1 schools, and they're kind of feeling that right now. But not to take anything away from Roger Robinson, who could do that against pretty much every team in San Diego at this point. I, I wow, watching their performance uh, on Saturday Night Live on KUSI with uh, Bert and uh, the South Bay guy, Bo Fertig. I could not keep my eyes off the screen. I was I was glued to watching Roger Robinson every single time he touched that ball. Um, you know, Dominic Nankill played his, his butt off, but the two defensive ends for Lincoln, they were after him every single play. He, you know, I think he had 40-something yards rushing, but he ran for about 300 yards that night because he was just running for his life literally almost every play. Um, the secondary I want to talk about for Lincoln, they are the best in San Diego. There is no doubt. Those guys can cover your guys for three, four, five, even six seconds. And, you know, modern day has traditionally played where, you know, their receivers are going to get open. Nankil can scramble. Their receivers will get open, and they'll find somebody open to make a big play. But when you're playing athlete against athlete, 
and Lincoln can run with those guys, you take away that fast of the game uh, for modern day. Then you add in a punishing six foot one, 230 pound Roger Robinson legitimately runs a four, seven, four, five in that range somewhere. There was no stopping the kid. It seemed like every single time he, it, it reminded me of Lucky Sutton last year in the, in the game against, uh, was it Orange Lutheran up north? Orange Lutheran, he had 20, 27 carries, 400 yard, 430 something yards, and six touchdowns. Uh, and you get to see a performance like that from a young man. You realize, you just, you realize really quickly how special that he is. Now, with all that said, you know, the limelight goes to the, the key marquee players like the the running backs, the quarterbacks. I thought Cal Chatham did a great job of managing the game and not, you know, forcing turnovers or forcing passes that could have led to turnovers. Um, but the biggest thing I was impressed with was the offensive line for Lincoln. They're big, they're strong, and they're physical. And that could be a challenge for, you know, traditionally in the past, Lincoln hasn't had a very big physical offensive line. And these guys are young, sophomores, and they're strong. They know their, their gap assignments. These guys are really, really good. And so I think that may make the difference uh, later on in the season when you, when you play a team like a Cathedral or a Madison. You know, in the past, um, the offensive defensive line, you know, the, the battle in the trenches would usually favor the other team. And I think Lincoln's figured that out, and they've got some guys on that line that can give Chatham enough time to either find the deep receiver, somebody come across the middle, you know, the bubble screens that Carter loves to call, or just hand the ball off to Roger Robinson. Um, they are, this is probably the overall best team that Jason Carter has ever had in his career. Let's talk about real quick before we get to the top 10. I mean, add Roger Robinson to a list of running backs in San Diego County you know, over the years um, that have produced Heisman Trophy winners and NFL players. I mean, San Diego has been a running back factory. Would you... You know, I, aside from saying like calling a city running back you is kind of weird, but I mean, would you? Hard, it's hard to argue to find a better place, you know, off the top of your head than San Diego that produces running backs. Four Heisman Trophy winners from that skyline area. So if you take the entire skyline world with Rashawn Salam, with um, all the guys who won it, Ricky Williams, they all lived in that area. And Roger Robinson is the latest back to come from that area. And it wouldn't surprise me if he'd be in the Heisman candidate race some point in his college career. Hall of Famer, NFL Hall of Famers in San Diego County. I mean, guys that have gone in the NFL and, and have done big numbers. Um, you know, guys that guys that you know even didn't really make that big of an impact in the NFL, but had great college careers. I mean, you go down the list. San Diego's done an exceptional job with producing running backs, and Roger Robinson, one of the latest. So let's talk about the top ten, uh, and then we'll get to our interview with with Miles um, Bailey. Uh, the UT Riders poll has Madison number one with 16 first place votes, followed by Lincoln with five first place votes, Cathedral with six first place votes, Carlsbad with two first place votes, then Helix, Poway, Modern Day, Mira Mesa, Granite Hills, and Lacosta Canyon. The one thing I will say, regardless of of where everything stands, you got four different teams getting first place votes. That's the big sign that that saying that it's wide open in the open division, Chris. Absolutely agree. Um, you know, my top 10 is not going to be much different, believe it or not. I think the only, the only difference in mine are the top three. Um, I got Lincoln at one, I got Cathedral at two, and I got Madison at three. I'm going to go. Every, but other than that, it looks exactly the same. My top six are pretty much the same. And just like you, my top three, a little bit different. I got Cathedral, Madison, Carlsbad, Lincoln, Helix, Poway. I think those six teams... Really, if you really want to say it in any real order, uh, well, actually, I think the three Western League teams are probably the best, even though I had Carlsbad three. But anyway, those top six are the top six, and after that, it's pretty much a crapshoot. I still got Modern Day in my top ten just because their four losses come against three teams in the top ten. I really think that if they were to go head-to-head, and I think it's tough right now because they're hurt, hurt. I still think they beat Ramona. I still think they beat Mira Mason. I still think they beat... Granite Hills, if that's if that in that particular order, if that was the case, that's the only reason why I still have them in my top in my top ten. I got Ramona at eight at two and two. I got Mira Mesa at nine at two and one. I got Granite Hills at ten at three and one. But I will say this: I mean, I watched Mira Mesa play in person. They have gotten tremendously better since week one, and they're really doing a, a, an outstanding job. Um, you know, so far this year, they got Script Ranch this weekend. I think they should be able to dominate that game and. You know, Mira Mesa start to go back on the rise. I know, you know, Coach Thompson, he wanted to be back in the Western League as soon as possible. And, you know, I've I've had I had interviews with him in the past. You know him obviously really well. 
You know, he he wanted to bring Mira Mesa back to the days where Saints and Cathedral were playing for second place. And now, obviously, he would probably want Cathedral and Lincoln and Madison battling out for second place as Mira Mesa wins the top crown. But I think they're stepping in the right direction this season. I do, too. I think Coach Morales has done a fantastic job since uh, the passing of Coach Thompson. Um, you know, it's been difficult, I know, for him personally because of how close they were. But, you know, on the football field, he manages to inspire kids and uh, really get these guys fired up for Friday night games. He's got some great kids that really, really are coachable, and uh, they're college ready. All right, we have the time now for our interview with Miles Bailey. Uh, Chris and I caught up with him in the Todd Durkin studio earlier in the week. We had a great time talking with him, got a lot of good information and a lot of good stuff to, to pass along to you coaches and the players about respecting officials and what they're looking for um, you know, in games so we kind of have a general understanding. We're all on the same page on a Friday night. So here's uh, us with the... My- Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s. And each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto-pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto-pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling accounts to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. After the end of a good fight, you deserve an ice-cold reward. Medela is the mark of a fighter. You've earned this rich golden lager with a crisp, refreshing taste. Because you know, the bigger the fight, the better the reward. You put in the hours, the energy, the tough labor. You are a fighter. Medela is your reward. Medela, the mark of a fighter. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Import, Chicago, Illinois. Miles Bailey. All right, Top Dog and I are, are pleased to uh, welcome a special guest. He, you put out the recall last week, yeah. and you're like, hey, any ref wants to join us, like jump Let's on go. the podcast. So Miles Bailey answered the, answered the call. Uh, he's from the San Diego County uh, football officials. Um, he's out there each and every Friday night. I'm sure some of you yeah, guys. Everybody knows that influence. I'm sure some of you guys have seen him already out there on the fields, but uh, he answered the call. We want to talk a little bit about what it's like to be a ref. You know, anybody that's interested in being an official, we need a lot of them uh, and dive into c- kind of some of the things that I think a lot of coaches don't know about being officials. So, Miles, thanks for, the, for, thanks for the time. Thanks for showing up. We appreciate it. I appreciate you guys having me. Thank you guys very much. Let's look. We, we had a pretty good conversation going off air before. I mean, just so many things that, that Chris and I are picking your brain with. Um, but let's let's just start from a standpoint of view. What got you into being a high school football official, and, and why are some what are some positive reasons why you think others should should kind of go down that path as well? Um, decided to become a football official because I wanted to give back to the game. I loved the game being in high school. wasn't good enough to continue, honestly, to go into college. I mean, I maybe would have made a JC squad, maybe. So I wanted to get back to the game, and I thought refereeing was a great idea. Um, great exercise, great money, or I said good money, but I mean, it's a way to give back. I'm out there getting exercise, the camaraderie, you know, there's 350 of us in the association. So, I mean, nothing like going to meetings during the month and getting to see all your friends that have the same kind of interests you do. Let's talk about real, real quick, uh, Chris, um, you know, when, when, when we're talking about uh, officiating, becoming an official, you talked about. You played football, right, in, in high school? Yes. Like you said? Okay, so you, you, you're one of the guys that played the game, loves the game, giving back to the game. I think a lot of coaches sometimes, you know, don't know how many officials, you know, have played before. Would you say, you know, what percentage of the guys that you know officials have played the sport of football before? I could probably say about 75% of the officials in our association played at one level or another. No, it's good to hear because there's a lot of times you're sitting there going like, "There's no way this guy ever played. This there's guy doesn't no know anything about played, right? football." Yeah. And it's usually kind of that common sense. Well, you know, thing. also I want to talk about the stereotypes. I mean, the reality is, <laughs> first of all, first and foremost, thank you for being a ref. I mean, appreciate it. Appreciate it. I mean, 
you know, with this year, we, we've experienced the, the Thursday games, the Saturday games because of shortages of refs. But I've already played a and, Thursday game and a Saturday yeah, game. And, right? and, you know, it's kind of weird because this isn't the NFL. I'm not used right. to seeing high school football on a Thursday night and definitely not a Saturday night. That's college game night. So thank you for stepping up uh, for our kids, for our community, for our coaches. And secondly, I want to say this. You know, I apologize on behalf of all coaches <laughs> everywhere that – I, you know, I don't know. There's something about seeing a zebra that he's automatically not my friend. <laughs> so whether you're a baseball referee, an umpire, or a referee in football, you know, you get a bad rap. You really, really do. I mean, the minute you step on that field, I, I think that, I don't know, 80%, 90% of the coaches are already thinking, how's this guy going to screw me tonight? <laughs> well, that's a, so, that's a bad mindset to have right there. Well, you know, as Negativity. a Negativity. Uh, well, I mean, hey, I'm just being honest. You that's know? right. I, you know, the, uh, the, the white hat's not your friend, and... You know, you get that bad stigma, and it's got, it's a special person that really is going to kind of know that, accept it, and go out there and, and do their very best. And, you know, there's not enough, obviously. I mean, but thank you for what you do for our kids, for our coaches, for the sport we all love. Now I'm going to hit you with the hard questions. Go oh, on. man, okay. here it so comes. I got to butter him up first. Um, I, I know one of the rules we talked about was we're not allowed to ask about any specific plays. Right. So um, I know those are reviewed by the the officials uh, group there. Real, real quick, though, what before you ask that question, yeah. just for people to know, because I think a lot of people want to know, what's the process like? What's the review process like? You know, I think a lot of people that watch baseball in particular always want to go like, oh, these guys getting graded on this. For you guys, after a game leading up to the next week, do you guys get a sheet of of plays how's the review process go because we talked about off air you know you guys have your own film session too take us through what what's that like for an official compared to what it is like for a football player um it's very similar friday night we finish up the game kind of have our own self-assessment plays that we want to look at for ourselves you know just like you guys is a play you felt you did great on maybe a play you feel you missed um saturday morning saturday afternoon we get the same huddle film provided by the school, and we get that uh, sent to us by our liaison for uh, San Diego County football officials. Uh, we take a look at it Saturday, Sunday. Um, Sunday afternoon, Monday, we get clip breakdown from our white hat. He's gone through the whole film, picked out good plays, bad plays, things we need to work on as a crew. Um, those get delivered to us. We take time on huddle to look at those. And then about Tuesday into Wednesday, we start looking at film on the teams we're coming up with um, to make sure that we kind of have an idea of what their tendencies are and to look at just the matchups so we're, you know, ready to go. You have some type of prep of like, all right, maybe this school's going to ask, hey, pay attention to this. They did this last week where we don't think it's legal or, and vice versa on, on stuff like that. Right? I would imagine a lot of it has to do, especially with RPOs now, linemen staying within their three yards that they have to stay and stuff like that, right? A lot of it has to do with RPOs. Um, and sh exactly. We normally get that more Friday before the, right. before the game when we go to talk to the head coach. Normally that's when he's hitting us with your guys' uh, questions about what the other team does. Um, around Tuesday when we get our film for the teams we're coming up with the week prior, we also get um, a breakdown of a couple of plays maybe from other games that we did well, maybe we didn't do so well on, but just points that we as an association need to look at and get better at. One last thing before Chris is going to get you with the, the real hard-hitting questions here. Um, how far in advance do you know your schedule? Do you do you get a full schedule like most high school teams and like, all right, week one, I'm here, two, three, or does it, it start to differ, you know, in the second half of the season when, you know, maybe there might be some bigger games that they didn't expect early on in the season? We get our schedule a few weeks out. It just depends yeah. on what's going on, especially now with trying to accommodate games, getting moved to Thursdays and Saturdays. And um, just like anybody, you know, we're all adults. We have personal lives. Right. We may have a crew set up for Friday, and one of those guys gets called out for a family matter or something, and now we have to shuffle the deck. Right. But we do know, know normally a couple weeks in advance where we're going. All right, so we got the basics of, you know, scheduling – you know, film breakdown, what it's like after and leading up to the, the, the event there. So I know, I know you got a couple of uh, some ones you want to lay out there for them. So, you know, for me, first of all, I just think it helps to, to understand that the guy doesn't just show up and call a game. Right. You know, I think that 90% of the coaches out there just think, you know, 
Oh, he's just showing up to call our this game. guy just got off work. We'll see, yeah, we'll you know, he's just going to roll out. He's going to stretch you know, we were, in. We're making jokes, you know, off air about, you know, the days where baseball referees would, would go to the trunk of their car and have a beer between innings. <laughs> you know, and that's how I grew up. So, you know, it, it obviously, you know, them getting graded and looking at film every week and getting film, you know, of the new teams they're going to be looking at. There's a lot more preparation that goes into being a referee or a white hat or an umpire than I even realized. Um, so I think that the digital world, uh, the invitation of huddle, huddle has actually helped referees and, and our game become safer and more true to, uh, to the game and the rule book. Right. Um, with that said, <laughs> you know, I grew up in the 80s and I can remember football uh, before instant replay. Right. Right. And then I watched the evolution of the NFL um, fighting with replay and all the different rules and to become, you know, the red challenge, the challenge flag it is today. You know, and every coach, and it seems like every coach and fan of a football program has a has a cell phone or an iPad, or right? A, Especially a nowadays, or a huddle, right. and you know, they want to introduce that into the middle of a game. Um, hey, you missed this call. Look right here on my phone. Right. You know. Hey, look right here on our screen. We've got this call you missed. What's that like? Knowing that, yeah, you know what? You got me on video. I blew a call, but it is what it is, and we got to move forward. How do you handle that situation with coaches? For myself, I can only speak for myself, but you guys are passionate. You guys are putting in all week, all off season with these kids. You guys are invested. So am I. I don't want to mess these calls up. So during the game, maybe isn't the right time. I'm not going to look at it, but it does go into my memory bank. And like I said, I you know when I get that film Saturday morning, that's going to be something I'm going to look at. But then again we have to take a rules test, a mechanics test, prior to the season. We have to pass those tests to even be eligible to be on a varsity field. Mm. So it's also the aspect of, I understand what you think you saw, but how does that actually apply into the rule book? Right. How, many times, how many times do you see where, you know, a, a coach, maybe first, second year head coach of a program, sees something on the field and starts screaming at you about a rule violation, and you have to educate him or her nowadays on um, the correct interpretation of a rule. How often do you think that happens during the course of a season? A couple times a season. But for the most part, again, I think we're going away from the old Bobby Knight coaching mentality <laughs> where we're just being screamed at. Yeah, okay. It is a lot more back and forth. As much as we're hearing the shortage of officials, which we do have, I think the coaches truly understand that this season with seeing their games get moved to Thursdays and Saturdays. There's been a lot more understanding amongst us as officials and coaches. Is there still times where coaches get upset? Of course. It's football. It's football. It's football. We're all out there. We're emotionally invested. Right. I love it. Nowhere I'd rather be on a Friday night than in the middle of the field with the linebackers. Yeah. Uh, my last question, and I'll let Braden take back over. <laughs> um Last year, I heard of something that I'd never heard before, and we had a kid. We had a kid that was, I think we were at De La Salle for the first time I heard it. A kid got flagged for hitting a kid too hard. Is that really a thing? Without seeing the play, I can't say why the flag I mean, is was thrown. Really, is that really, like, he told us, and he said, he hit him too hard. And that, I'm like, this is football. Like, I don't get it. What do you mean? And so the kid was flagged. It wasn't unnecessary roughness. He flagged him for hitting him too hard. Is that even a rule? I mean, we're talking, about, we're talking about Cathedral's Madden Ferriamo. Oh, like on uh, was that against? He's the been flagged. Well, that happened. That happened on Friday. Okay. And the explanation from the officials was he was late, and then on the replay thing, it's like you can make the case that he was there at the exact same time. But it's it's to me, I, and I, I think it's transitions to a, uh, an interesting topic, just with the way that it's officiated in San Diego at least when our experience when we go out of town, how it's officiated out of town, it seems like in San Diego, any big hit is automatically going to get flagged, regardless if it's one helmet to helmet, which, by the way, I don't know how anybody can, with the naked eye, see some of those hits without replay like they do in college. Right. Um, and two, it's just, let's just throw the flag. We're going to say it's late, you know, because it's a big, big type of hit. When we go out of town, and, you know, it's almost like old school football. So I don't know if that's a point of emphasis in San Diego or what the deal is, but... For you, as a guy that played football, 
loves football, knows the old school football, but also the new rules. How do you go about the physicality with some of these squads? And when it's when it's unnecessary and when you think it's like, you know, they're just playing football. There's a lot of indicators. I think us as officials in San Diego are blessed. Our association is ran by ex-NFL officials and the state rules interpreter for the state of California. Okay. Our leadership is top-notch. We feel we're one of the best high school associations in America, not just the state of California. So without obviously seeing plays, every no two plays are the same. Right. I think the way we are officiating in the games is the way the is the way the National Football High School Association wants them to be officiated. And other associations don't the, the luxury of having NFL white hats, state rules interpreters at their meetings every Wednesday to educate them on what they're seeing and what the correct interpretation of that rule is. So what are, what is the correct interpretation of the rule when it comes to those big hits? Is it are we looking for helmet contact? Are we looking crown of the helmet like they do in college for high school? What do they tell you should be a flag compared to what is just a big, you know, nice big clean hit? Without going into detail of a play, what are some of the, you know, the tells that they teach you to be on the lookout for in those situations? Anything to the above the shoulders is a huge indicator for us. You can always lower your striking target. If you come up and the safety wants to make the big tackle, lower the target. Wrap up. Are you looking to make a tackle or are you looking to punish? Mm. That's a good one. See, I don't know that I could I could be a coach in today's day because, you know, I grew up with guys like Steve Atwater and Randy Lott. Well, Randy Lott. it is hard being a coach. As, as a safety, as a safety, you know, I, I want my guy to go in there like a missile and I want him to dislodge the ball, and I want there to be a physical punishment to a wide receiver to come across that middle. So, I mean, I, I don't know that you can do that with, with that rule that, you know, are you looking to tackle or are you looking to punish? Well, the thing that the thing that's interesting for me, and again, it's not the officials because they right. just do what the rules right. are. Right, I agree. But the way the rules are now, it's like anything across the middle and it's a big hit. It's like, You're gonna get what fired. am I, and the answer, like, you want to give officials, the question you ask them is like, what do you want my guy to do? Right. And it's just like, it's either let him catch it or get there early or try to take out. The other thing, too, is that you're going to say, the guys, he's like, he said go low, which, again, it's it's what the, the rules say. I'm not yelling at the officials for this, but it's like, you just see a lot more just knee injuries because yeah, guys are kidding. coming in yeah. super low. But that that is what the upper levels have determined as right. they move down the rankings. So I find that interesting. Um, you know, a couple other things in terms you know, of... Some of those calls last year make sense now. Right. I mean, but even like even the, when I say lower the target, <coughs> I mean put your shoulder into his stomach and wrap up to dislodge that football. Right. You don't need the big blow up at water, lynch, <laughs> hit no more. Wrap up, come through, drive drive through that tackle, wrap up, it's form a little, tackle, uh, and drive him into the in, ground. In all fairness, though, I mean, when I've got you know a safety sitting out there and I've got a, a slant receiver, you know, running a slant or a slot receiver running a slant, he's coming across the middle. Receiver's looking back for the ball. My safety's coming downhill. It's going to be really hard to correct myself in the minutiae amount of time they have right. to make that play so it doesn't look like the kid's getting creamed. The, the times the most that, at least that I have seen, that we've been penalized on are bang-bang plays yeah. where the safety's actually going for the ball, too. Yeah. And he gets there at the same time as the wideout, and they just go shoulder pad, shoulder pad, and there's a big collision. Yeah. Which I think, for the most part, we see that, and when we have better crews, they don't call it. But when we have the young crews, they see big hit. They hear, by the way, coaches ask for it now all the time, as every offensive coach should at this point. And then all of a sudden you get the late flag, and then it's like, what are we doing? Yeah. Right. So that's it. But again, that's not something that I have a problem with officials for. That's more of a rule book question. Yeah. Because, that, because at the end of the day, like a lot of the things that I think some coaches get mad at, it's it's not the officials. It's the rules and what they were told to do. Right. I umpired Little League for a long time. It's not I the same. But, too. like, there's a lot of things that are like, this is what they tell us to do. We have to enforce this. I want to ask one more, and then we'll look. I don't have nothing else to say. Taunting. Taunting's been a big one the last couple of years, and we've seen the rules increase on taunting. What's your interpretation of taunting and what's crossing the line? 
Yeah, what, when is it celebrating their success, and then where does it cross the line where it is, you know, rubbing it in the opponent's face? Or, like, you know, the unsportsmanlike there was, stuff. There was TJ McKay. I'm going to call TJ out. He, he brought something to my attention with some of the, one of his tweets that I read. See, I used to have this belief that it's okay to celebrate your success. And kids would do that by saying, hey, I did this. I scored four touchdowns against the number two rated corner in the state. And I was like, oh, okay, that's cool. But TJ actually said on a tweet, he's like, if that's your job and you just did your job, why don't we just stop saying who you did against? And I didn't realize that at that point it was, you're not celebrating your success. You're actually putting down another athlete. And so I kind of changed the way I looked at taunting slightly because I used to be the kind of guy like, you know, you hit somebody, you make a big hit, and I'm standing over you like. It's, it's, <laughs> it's the whole, like, if you don't like it, play better attitude, right? That was my attitude. And so now I think the game's evolved. People have changed. Society's obviously changed over the last 30 years. Um, I just want to know where that line is that is, you know, I'm celebrating my success versus taunting how bad this guy is or how much I embarrassed him. That's a good question. For me, I, just just from a coaching perspective, you know, if I'm getting my ass kicked and the other team's celebrating, I flat out tell my kids, look, you don't like it, you guys got to play better. I'm not going to sit here and whine that they, you know, spiked the ball or they, they're they rubbing it in. And that actually happened against us a couple of years ago. Centennial was destroying us, and one of their kids scored a touchdown, came over and flexed, and was talking smack. And I mean, it was kind of out of line, but at the same time, my kids are getting upset. I'm like, you don't like it, dude, go, go beat his ass. Like, you know, you got a chance, and they didn't want to. This is kind of the National Federation of High School. Their note is... NFHS disapproves of any form of taunting which is intended or designed to embarrass, ridicule, or demean others any, under any circumstances. I think that's fair. It's a fair interpretation. I, I play. See, I, and now I know I couldn't coach in this area. Hey, I now I'm, now I'm throwing you out. Either. Now you're and out. Here's, right and here. here's the big one that... The game changed, man. The, the 100%, <laughs> but we're talking this is NFHS that is made in Indiana. They're in charge. They're the ones writing the rules. And under, I don't think football in Indiana is the same football in California. <laughs> the same football, but we have state rules interpreters. Our guy is our uh, in our association is our state rules interpreter, and one of the big ones that everybody you know why can't they get up and first down, great catch you know, any delayed, excessive, or prolonged act by a player attempts to focus attention upon oneself. I might throw a flag for that. To be honest, let's keep the game going. Really? Let's go. Let's move. See, like here. Happened last week, freshman game. I'm watching the Cathedral's freshman play. He likes his freshman. Quarterback for Cathedral rips off a first down, takes a pop, stands up, spins the ball, and I'm like, idiot, what are you doing? Flag gets 15 yards. This is when they're on their like on a driver. They need to they need to score to win. It's like, why? That's just so unnecessary, <sighs> in my opinion. But you're also talking that they're watching NFL where right. you have they are. what's the receiver? Um the gentleman for the Steelers. Oh God. He gets up and points first he's down under two football. minutes. Is he even in football anymore? Which one are we talking? Dude, every receiver does Brown. that now. Oh, no, not Brown. It was the the Antonio younger Brown. kid, the younger kid Juju. for the Steelers, the third Juju one, the, guy, no the other one that couldn't Wa- catch. Washington. Yeah, he gets. I don't know if that's the correct name, but he gets up under two minutes. They got like forty seconds left. He gets the first down, and he gets up and points first down, right. and leaves the ball on the ground yeah. while they're trying to run hurry up, and his whole team just goes off on him. Um, I want to talk just just from my umpiring experience. I did it for like 15 years as mm-hmm. a kid going up through side hustle, some money. I would totally officiate if I didn't love coaching more. Um, and I have done it before when, when we've been in a jam and we have failed to inform officials when games are going on, which is bad on our part. But anyway, when I was umpiring, there was a couple of times where it was like, problem after problem after problem the game just keeps dragging on and then all of a sudden you're sitting there thinking like all right man i want to get i can't i can't give this guy a strike and all of a sudden my zone starts to widen a little bit because i'm trying to get through the game how many times are you in a game where it's like it just seems like flag after flag after flag after flag after flag yet you're still seeing some holding is there any time where you're you're trying to sit there and go like, man, I really don't want to throw this right now, but I have to. Like, do you ever do you ever try to swallow your whistle in, in certain circumstances when the game might be out of hand and the game seems like it's going on too long before I get you in trouble? No, I don't try to swallow my whistle. Um, a safety foul will never be overlooked. 
by me and by our association. Not safety fouls, but just kind of like here and there. You know, yeah. may, maybe the guy can, had a hold turn, late. Can we turn it into a talking point? Then we may pass on the call. But it won't be at the point of attack. Not at the point of attack and not something Backside blatant. tackle on a sweep away. Yeah, he may get talked to. Where you guys all see the hold. Right. We see it. It had no effect on the play. Right. It had no effect on the play. But... No, I don't look at score. I don't look at we got to get ready for the varsity game. That's the coach's job. If the coaches are feeling the game's going too long, they can go talk to their JV coach and say, we're going to running clock. Here's another thing that I've experienced before that I think, you know, I, it's, I think it differs per crew. Is it, at least what you're told, is it the official's job to keep games from getting completely out of hand in terms of you got a team on one end that's really good let's just say they're playing a team that they should destroy and they're they're putting up 60 70 80 centennial centennial santiago week zero right is that your job to to keep the game close or is that the coach's job to make sure it doesn't get out of hand it's the coach's job i agree 100 it's not our job um state of california has a mercy rule Right. 35-point lead in the fourth quarter. It goes to a running clock. Run it. That CIF is like, hey, we got to help some of these teams out there to a little outmatched. But no, as an official, we're not out there to hurry a game up, hinder a good team against a bad team. That's not what we're there for. As much as parents, coaches, fans think, we're the one person, one crew out there that truly does not care who wins the game. Right. God, I wish I had you every week. It'd be great. But, you know, because sometimes, and, and sometimes I've even had some guys go, Coach, I mean, you're winning by whatever, as an explanation, which shouldn't be ever an explanation that, for any type of... That's experience. Right, that's I where, agree. as an official, you learn how, how to say that without saying without it. Without saying it. Is, I think, the best way. It's human nature. You're watching the younger, the, the little kid just get beat up you, you know, you might give him a little more. And I'm not saying as an official, I'm just saying as a human being. Right. But how do you tell the coach that without saying, coach, he's just a bigger, stronger kid. That's why I allowed that to happen. Right. Here's a couple of things, too, I wanted, I wanted to talk to you about when it comes to officials. So I, I gave you my biased viewpoint on, as a human before the game starts, whether or not I think we're going to have a good crew. For you, in terms of meeting the coaches... You know, what do you look for in a coach um, and coaching staffs and kind of the way the teams go where you're like, you know, I think we're going to have a good game here. It's not going to get out of hand. I'm not going to have any issues. For the coaches, uh, just the respect. And like I said, this be respectful to us. You know, we're coming out. We're doing a job. You guys, every coach wants to win. They're not going out there thinking they're going to lose or want to lose. So they're going to sway the officials if they can. It's just human nature. They want them on their side to turn that 50-50 call into a 51-49. They have a 1% advantage, you know. Um, I really think San Diego is starting to get it with games going to Thursdays and Saturdays. We are one of the last states in the nation to do this. People don't understand. Right. Florida, almost all their big games are played on Thursday or Saturday. Right. When I was in Texas, it was freshmen's on Wednesday, JV's on Thursday, varsity's on Friday. They had some games on Saturday. Youth, Pop Warner was not on Saturday. They played at their school on Monday and Tuesday. I mean, it was every single day there was a different day of football. And I, I think refs were probably some of it, and their love of football was probably the other part of that. But, um, you know, to, to go back to, to some of these things with, with, with coaches in San Diego, over overall, you know, how when, when you get – I'd like to know from your perspective as a guy that grew up in San, or at least, you know, went through the ranks here in San Diego, played high school football, you know, has, has officiated for a long time. How would you evaluate the state of high school football in San Diego right now? From an official standpoint, when you see everything together, you know, is it up from where it was? Is it down? What are the numbers like? Like what have you witnessed of the last, you know, 10 or so years in high school football? The numbers are starting to come back. We did see a dip right before COVID. Right. And then COVID helped nobody. Nobody. I mean, nobody. It was, we, from watching it and being passionate about high school sports and 
watching these young, you know, these kids become young men. Right before COVID, I started seeing us really actually compete. I thought we could compete with some of the teams in Southern section. And then COVID did us no help. Right. I agree. But I'm starting to see the kids come back. There are some monster squads as far as numbers go, where before, you know, they could barely field a varsity team and have enough to go both, you know, kids to be on both sides of the ball and run an 11 on 11 practice. Now you're seeing some of those programs have 35, 40 kids and even be able to field a JV team. So I do think kids are starting to come back into Cal- into San Diego to play football. And it's We've had the conversation before, Chris and I, in the last couple of podcasts where the thing that's lacking big time, at least when it comes to San Diego compared to the Southern section, is linemen. They're either not here anymore or they're all at one school, you know, and, and it, there's just not enough to go around based on you being in the trenches, seeing it all the time, you know, where, I, like I ask Chris all the time, where did all the big kids go? Are there too many schools? Are they more thinned out? Or do we have big kids we are just not in the weight room as much? What is the difference for you in terms of seeing linemen from San Diego County compared to linemen from outside of the county? Sheer size. I think you hit it. Like, where are the big kids? I mean, you, your school may have one or two here and there. You just don't see the sheer size like you do in the southern section. Right. I mean, I don't know if the water is different up in southern section or what, but... They got, I mean, they got armies they got big of big kids. kids. I big mean, kids. Centennial's got about like 15 linemen that are all D1 size linemen. And I go, I know they're a big school, but we got big schools too. The population in San Diego County is over 3 million. I mean, it's a big area. I know some of the schools are, are not as big, but you go back in the tape and you watch back and you think back to maybe when you were playing or before. I mean, it seemed like a lot of schools had big linemen where now it's only a ba- maybe like two or three have big linemen. It's just the flux of where we're at in San Diego. I mean, I do see a lot more skilled players in San Diego now. We have a lot of athletes, a lot of athletes around. Just might be a downtime right now for the for the big man in San Diego. Yeah, a lot of tall and skinny kids. Maybe I mean lifting. I, I I don't know what it is, but it seems like we got a lot of, you know, let's say active. I mean, a lot of the linemen are active. They're not like big pudgy kids anymore it's a different, they're very it's a different lineman nowadays yeah anyways. it's not the they're all they're all taller and, and and skinnier and then the ones that are on the very very you know good teams the big guys are just fit kind of buff players but i wanted to get your perspective on that real quick um let's talk about pre-snap reads and just what officials are looking for you know you can kind of go through your crew just just so our coaches know and understanding when they when they give you that what are you looking at that infamous what are you looking at comment you know, just kind of a general idea because I, as, as a coach and as somebody that is broadcasted, watched, I mean, big football fan, I couldn't tell you what each official is responsible for. Pre-snap read is different play to play based on where we're at, what we're doing. There is a basis of what we do every play. I'll start with myself as an umpire in the middle. I have my main, my main goal is watching the ball, making sure the snap is correct. Then I have the guard on either side of the center. That is my number one priority for every play. I'm offset of the referee, so we kind of split the center in half. He has one side of the line. I have the other side. Based on if it's a run or pass, our duties change. We watch if it's point of attack or behind blocking if the point of attack goes away from me more towards the referee. We're side. talking about like holding illegal chops, holding like all, chop. face mask, illegal hands to the face, stuff like that. All those things. Um, so when you're looking for that, you're only like, because it's tough to look at all five linemen at once. So you have half the line. He's got the other half. What are you looking at? About that's, like two that's or three pre, kids, maybe? That's, that's pre-snap. And as soon as the ball snap and the play determines what we're going, we go into our run run zone technique. And we have four zones. One, two, three, four. One is ahead of the ball. Two is the point of attack. Three is right behind. And four is that wide vision. Normally a flank official. Uh, when I say flank official, the line of scrimmage official. Either the headlinesman or the line judge the one that's over with the coaches. They have the wide vision. So they're making sure everything behind the play is kind of taken care of. Um, mainly looking for personal fouls, that kind of thing. Right. Um, a hold behind the play isn't going to affect the play. That's where we do a lot of talking to. Coaches will scream, hey, look, he, the, the tackle held my D end on a sweep away. Yes, if it's not huge, we may just give them a talking to. But it'll be fair. Your your kid's going to get that same warning, the same talking to. And if it continues, that's where it's the judgment of the official if they're going to throw a flag. 
when you get into those situations, how important is it for you guys? Because it doesn't happen for everybody because it's, it's human nature to keep your cool and, you know, still have that same respect that you demand from the coaches to give back to the coaches when, when a coach might be getting a little snippy with you. How, how important is it for you to keep your cool? And, and have there ever been times where you've been close to, to you know, maybe going, you know, maybe I shouldn't have said it like that? Of course, there's always learning experiences where you kind of make a comment. You're like, ooh, that's probably not the best way I could have explained that to that coach. Um, in the end, it's they're invested in the game. And from determining who the winner is, we're not. Right. We, we do not care who wins the football game at the end. They do. So they're going to try to bias their wording, what they saw, to pull us as officials to their side to help them maybe get a call later in the game. And it's just one of those things you got to keep your cool. Um, I've said it and I say it again. If any of the kids that play or have played and had me as an umpire, I ask them to show me respect and I show it right back. And it has worked for me in my 10 years of refereeing here in San Diego. I've had numerous kids say how much they love being out there with me, other crews, how they love them. And I think that's what we're getting in our associations. We're starting to realize how we treat these kids they show it back to us and the coaches as well. Miles, I appreciate the time. Thanks again. I appreciate it. Thank you, sir, for having me. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. Thanks again to Miles Bailey for helping us out and uh, taking the time. You know, I tried to grill him a little bit. Chris coming to his defense a lot, uh, which was great. Uh, you know, try to reverse roles a little bit. But, you know, Chris, overall, I think we learned a lot from Miles Bailey and just how they viewpoint things and what they're looking for, um, you know, throughout games. And, and kind of that same thing that coaches want, the communication and the respect. Um, you know, and, and I think Miles said it best that San Diego is, is one of the, the, the parts in the world and that it does a great job with that. And he said a lot of coaches are – are really embracing the the you know the the level of respect that they should have for the officials. You know, for me, I think the greatest thing I learned uh, during our conversation was the amount of preparation uh, that referees have to go into film uh, watching, film watching, and being graded and having you know clips sent around. And, you know, you might be that guy that makes a bad call and it shows up on a clip that the entire association has to grade. So you know, there is a lot of the other part is you know I didn't know about eighty to ninety percent of the guys that are doing referee or, you know, officiating our former players. So, you know, for me, I think I'm going to give the guys a little bit less of a hard time when I'm on the sidelines and a little bit more respect. And then the other thing too is when anything that we brought up in terms of some things that, you know, kind of looks bad on the officials, Miles was like, hey, it just comes with experience and, and learning and, 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 and putting it together. Just, just like an athlete would hone their craft and get better with how they you know do coverage and do quarterback reads and, and how you run with the ball and stuff like that. So uh, it's great hearing the film prep that they do. It's great that they're former players. They know the game. And you know every once in a while you get a bad egg, but same with the coaching with coaches staff that you have to deal with. But I thought that was great insight, and hopefully you guys enjoyed that. Let's talk about the games this week. we got two games coming up on Thursday, San Ysidro at Hilltop and El Cajon Valley at El Cap. Anything you want to uh, address on those two games? I'm going to take San Ysidro, and I think I'm going to take El Cap too. Games of the week. Mission Hills at Carlsbad uh, was supposed to be a, a gigantic game, I think, uh, coming into this week. I thought it was going to be the battle for first place in the Avocado League. Now with the loss that Mission Hills had, still pretty good game, but I don't think does it lose. I think it loses a little bit of its luster. Carlsbad uh, is projected to win by 26 points, Chris. I think they're covering that game. Like you said, I mean, they just lost, and Mission Hills just lost to LCC. Hauser's not going to want to put up another performance like they did. I know they're going to have a, a tough week of practice in Mission Hills, but you know Julian Sain is that guy, and they've got a couple receivers over there that can really uh, get separation from punters and, and safeties. So you know I, I feel like Julian Sain is going to have no problem with that defense uh, of Mission Hills. North County game of the week: San Marcos Knights three and one at the number twelfth ranked La Costa Canyon Mavericks, who are two and two, coming off the big win against Mission Hills. It's a pick'em game. Chris, if you're a gambling man, it's a one-point favorite in quarter, according to Cal Preps, 
for Lacoste Canyon. I like San Marcos in this game. Uh, I think they win by a touchdown. They might win by 10 points. What do you say? I say give me Jason Nicks and the San Marcos Knights every uh, 10 times out of 10 in this game. There's nobody in that secondary for Lacoste Canyon that can carry Jason Nicks. I'm expecting the kid to have 200 yards receiving, three tubs, and San Marcos wins by 14-plus. East County game of the week, the Central Spartans, who have uh, shocked the uh, San Diego community a, a little bit, coming from Imperial Valley, doing a great job out there in the desert. It's going to come uh, to East County of San Diego to take on Granite Hills. Central's favored by one as the number 10th ranked Granite Hills at 3-1 and one, host the Central Spartans, who are 13th in the county and 2-1 and one on the year. I'm going to take Central. They're going to keep the ball on the ground. The best way to slow down the Granite Hills offense is to keep them on the sidelines. And Central's really good about ball control, so I think it's going to be a low-scoring game, but I do think they'll have enough to beat Grand Hills. I got Central on that one as well. South Bay game of the week, Mission Bay Bucks, favored by 21 points in the Montgomery Aztecs. 4-0 Bucks. You keep talking about them every week, getting them ready to go. They uh, they keep putting through. Every time you say, I'm going to go with my Bucks, they... Uh, they uh, they go they pull through for you there, uh, Chris. They're playing a, Mon- a pretty d- a decent Montgomery Aztecs team down in the South Bay, who are three and one. Should be a good one. Uh, Cal Preps does give Mission Bay a three touchdown advantage, though. I got friends on both sides of the ball, but uh, only one of them used to be my head coach. So I'm going to go with Coach Tate. I uh, was the head coach of my Dago Dogs. Coach Tate is a phenomenal uh, players coach. Uh, he coaches from the inside out. Love his approach with his players. Um, very even killed, very goal-driven, very detail-oriented. Um, they're going to go there and have no problem with the Aztecs. The Aztecs aren't what they used to be. Morse Tigers at the La Jolla Vikings is a pretty good city game of the week. Morse Tigers are 3-1. and one. La Jolla is now 3-1 and one after another win uh, last week against Del Norte. La Jolla is favored by four at home, but... Morse Tigers got a pretty good running rushing attack, and like we talked about before, they're throwing the ball a little bit uh, than they uh, usually do in the past. I like I like I like Morse I like Morse in this game against La Jolla, Chris. You know, this is a this is probably the hardest game of all all the games we've talked about so far. Um, these team these teams are very evenly matched um, and coached, and so the similar styles that they have as far as. The coaches, how they coach their players. Um, Tracy McNair coaches his players the same way the coach Roach coaches his players. Um, there's no fight in either. I mean, there's no give up in either one of these teams. I feel like this is going to be an extremely close game. It's going to come down to a special teams mistakes or a turnover. I think Loya edges them out 28-27. We're going to go rapid fire here with the rest of the picks. West Hills Wolfpack is at the Mount, Car- or Mount Miguel Matadors. West Hills is favored by 14. I'm taking the Wolfpack. De La Salle is only favored by 14 at Cathedral. Should be a uh, great opportunity for anybody that wants to go see De La Salle in action, the storied program uh, against the Dons. They're very well coached. They're very well disciplined. And when you see the uh, classic helmets that they have that they're notorious for, it's pretty fun to watch. So if you want to be in town, De La Salle, or if you want to come up to the uh, game, De La Salle is in town. Uh, I think De La Salle probably wins this game pretty easily. I'm taking the Spartans. La Jolla Country Day Tories at the Coronado Islanders. Pick'em game. Coronado's favored by one. I'll take Coronado. Taking Coronado. Helix Highlanders are favored by 27 at St. Augustine, who's coming off a 45-7 victory over Steel Canyon. I'm going to take Helix in that game. I'm taking Helix as well. Valley Center Jaguars are favored by two at the San Pasqual Golden Eagles. I'll take Valley Center. And then Ramona favored by 12 at the Fallbrook Warriors. Kind of talked about this. Uh, a little bit off the air yesterday. Fallbrook's having a pretty uh, pretty good season this year for a team that, you know, unfortunately had to go through a lot of different coaches in a two-year span. You know, I'm going to go out on a limb here. I'm going to take Fallbrook over the ball. You got the war. You got the Fallbrook Warrior. The Warriors are back. <laughs> it's not too long ago the Fallbrook was playing in D1 title games. Um, so it's it's great to see that their storied program is is getting back and, and going, which is is great to see. Uh, anything you're looking forward to this weekend in terms of watching football, besides obviously being at Hoover? <laughs> no, that's it. Let's go. <laughs> <laughs> Who's Hoover got this weekend? I forget. Uh, you know, I don't know. I got to check the schedule. That's right. Hey, you're you're game by game. You're not looking out in advance. We got one game at a time. Wait, we just got to get through practice today, right, Chris? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, it should be a fun weekend of games again. Thanks again for tuning in to the podcast. We'll have more of it next week uh, as we record on Tuesday and get it for you on, on Thursday. Another big thanks to uh, 
to Miles Bailey for joining us. It was great to get a referee's perspective, and a big thank you for Todd Durkin for letting us use his studio uh, last week. Thank you to Odyssey as uh, I am here. Uh, thank you to Chris's house for hosting Chris today on the uh, Zoom call. Uh, Chris, appreciate the time as always. We'll uh, look forward to talking to you next week. Absolutely. We'll see you next week. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. vehicle's engine with a full synthetic oil change and save with Mobile One at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Purchase five quarts of Mobile One full synthetic motor oil and receive a $10 O'Reilly gift card after rebate. See store for details. With your Mobile One purchase, you'll also receive two times points during Old Rewards Bonus Points Month at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. Listen to every MLB game live. The deep left center field, it is high, it is far, it is gone. Stream minor league affiliates. The Midwest League home run leader. And watch the best baseball highlights and look-ins on MLB Big Inning. MLB at bat is your all-in-one live baseball subscription for only $3.99 per month. Deep left field, it's going to go. Alvarez ties the game. Subscribe to at bat within the MLB app today. Major League Baseball trademarks used with permission.